when surgeons walk into the hospital room and they sit down beside the patient or in front of the patient and spend 60 seconds exactly talking to the patient, compare that to if they spend also exactly 60 seconds but remain standing up. After both the scenarios, they can ask the patient, how long did the doctor spend with you? When the doctor sits down, the patient rates the time as longer. By the clock, it was identical. Welcome to season 13 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank you for watching. Enjoy the show. And if you haven't already picked up a copy, I invite you to do so. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I'm joined by Professor Jeremy Howick, who is the inaugural director of the Stony Gate Center for Empathic Healthcare and Professor of Empathic Healthcare at the University of Leicester and fellow of Kellogg College at Oxford. His mission is to ensure that all healthcare consultations include a dose of empathy. And he achieves this by using evidence-based methods to develop and deliver empathy training to practitioners practitioners in the UK, US, Canada, and elsewhere. He has published over 150 peer-reviewed publications and three books, including The Philosophy of Evidence-Based Medicine and Dr. You, which is an Amazon number one bestseller. He has received numerous awards, including from the British Medical Association, the European Society for Person-Centered Care, and the University of Oxford. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Hello, Anita. It's great to be here with you. I've been a fan of your work, work for a long time. And Same, here we and are I, talking. And I just learned that you're from Montreal, which I had not made the connection. So it's wonderful yes. to speak to a fellow Montrealer. You are doing such important work. And I think the world has kind of figured it out, especially on the heels of COVID. So there's so much to unpack with you. Um Wait, let's start with the the evidence, the science. What is the evidence for empathic healthcare in the first place? Yes, that's a great question because because people often think of empathy as a soft thing, mm. but it's um, kind of you can't touch it, you can't really see it, and therefore that it's not that important. But we've shown just the opposite. I call it the hard science of the soft skills. So. The tools we use to investigate the effects of drugs are called randomized controlled trials and systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials. We've done those for empathy, where you take a bunch of doctors, for example, and you randomize, you flip a coin. Some of them receive empathy training. Some of them don't. Then both groups go on to treat patients, and we measure patient outcomes. And, and empathy does a bunch of stuff. It, it improves patient satisfaction by 10%. It reduces the amount of morphine that patients after an operation require by 50%. It reduces patient pain by 10%. It improves patient adherence to treatment and adherence to treatment is a predictor of outcomes by 19%. Um, we all, we've also done studies looking at the cellular immunity. It improves the cellular immunity of post-operative patients. Um, and the side effect, there are side effects to everything. The side effect though, is that practitioners, the doctors, nurses, and so on, their rates of burnout go down. And that's a really important point because rates of doctor burnout in many countries, especially the UK, Canada, the US are astronomical and doctors and nurses are leaving the profession in droves because of this. Okay, that is like you've made the business case for why empathic healthcare matters, not only for the patient, but also for the clinicians and the physicians. Um, 
What does the training look like? Like, how do you train for empathy? That's a great point because people often tell me, um, I get a lot of skeptical objections. People say, first of all, they say, you know, um, you can't train, it's, it's genetic. You know, you either have it or you don't. And definitely some people have higher levels than others, um, but you can train it. We've shown that with another series of randomized trials. We, we, we train some practitioners, leave other ones alone. These are very rigorous scientific methods. They all have problems like any study does, but we do the most rigorous you can do. And it, it has a big effect on behavior. So how do you do it? There's a variety of methods. And that's one area we have to find out more about how to optimize, how to optimize the training. But we what we have found, Anita, is that some of the training is only four hours long. Four-hour training session with a practitioner can improve patient outcomes. And so far, there's no difference between, let's say, a four-hour, it's got to be a good four-hour training session, can't be, can't be a terrible one, but a good four-hour training session, we, we run them, for example, I'm not trying to sell ours, but we, we do run one, um, compared to a two-day one or a two-week one, there doesn't seem to be a big difference. So this is a further uh, adding to the business case for it, as it were. It doesn't cost much, much time. To, to, to train these things. And the reason I think is that people, in spite of the fact that people say that some have empathy, some don't, all humans have it actually. And you, you know this from your own work. I know from your book, Purposeful Empathy, that people do have it and it just needs to be brought out. We can't, we, we have to just stop squishing it and, and allow people to just rediscover it and motivate them to engage in what they already know. Yeah. And so much, I think, of the administrative aspect of medicine, the paperwork, the insurance, all of that documentation stuff is taking doctors away from their patients, right? Patients want to have like, they're usually coming to the doctor, I imagine, unless it's like for the annual checkup, which also can have its own anxiety. But typically, if you're spending a lot of time in a doctor's office, there's something going on with you. And that is anxiety provoking. And you want to have a physician, somebody in the healthcare system who is listening to you empathically and holding space for like probably some of the toughest conversations, you know, that you'll have, right? So what do you think are some of the core um, uh, training uh, hacks, if we want to call it, that you think really elevate somebody's capacity within that interface? Yeah. The two things to say, first of all, you noted that the circumstances of healthcare do not create the milieu is not fertile ground for empathy between patients and doctors to thrive. So we also do system empathy training, I call it, um, which doesn't involve teaching the doctors different behaviors. It just creates a, a certain, a, a better um, atmosphere. We've done that at the Montreal Children's Hospital actually a few years ago. Um, and we're doing it here in the NHS with a number of hospitals and, and um, family doctor practices. Hacks, there's a lot of easy hacks. An obvious one is take this away. Don't look at the screen, look at the patient. Um, the second easy hack is sit down. Here's a cool trial. When surgeons walk into the hospital room and they sit down beside the patient or in front of the patient and spend 60 seconds exactly talking to the patient, Compare that to if they spend also exactly 60 seconds, but remain standing up. Mm. After both the scenarios, they can ask the patient, how long did the doctor spend with you? When the doctor sits down, the patient rates the time as longer. By the clock, it was identical. So that doesn't cost a, a penny. The other, Another easy hack is to offer a message of reassurance. Mm. So 
We don't believe in exaggerating positivity and lying, of course, but there's always something positive to say. Even in the case of palliative care, you can try to focus on, find something you can do for the patient. And if you can't think of anything, just say, we're going to do our best to take care of you. Just that alone can reduce anxiety and reduced anxiety in turn reduces depression and pain. There's a, so there's, there's a lot of simple things. There are more, there are other things that you can do too that do take, some of them do take longer. So finding out about the whole person, which is required in the case of patients with multi-morbidities, if they have multiple problems, you can't always do it in five minutes, even if you sit down. Yeah, exactly. What about, um, compassion fatigue uh empathy fatigue what do you offer or what do you what do you think is an important message for people who are working on the front lines uh to guard against that you know i'll I'll just share like an anecdote i remember i spent one summer with my sister in rwanda and i thought i was going to be a humanitarian and after that summer i was like i don't think i have you are a humanitarian (laughs) yeah in my own way, right? But that summer actually is what turned me onto my pathway of education. Let my impact come through educating my students or the larger public. But I didn't feel like I had what it took to be a frontline humanitarian. And as I was flying home, I was in the lineup at the airport with a British um, humanitarian who worked for a major food aid organization. And he was I can't remember if it was Sudan. I want to say it was Sudan. He was working as a logistics operator to make sure that food and grains were coming to to give out to 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 people who needed the food. And we were just talking about what it means to do frontline work. And he told me that his colleagues who are actually giving out the maize or giving out the rice or giving out the food, you know, would see people in such uh with you know with, with in such pain uh painful circumstances that if you looked at each person in the lineup as a human and and felt empathy for them and felt empathy for their circumstance, you couldn't do the work. So he said they had to find a way to sort of turn off and be a little bit robotic about like giving the food, giving the food, getting the food just to get the work done. That's always stayed with me. And I think, you know, doctors who are, you know, some people who have fatal diseases or painful circumstances and the loss of family members, all the anxiety, like there's just so much emotional stress involved in the work. Um, So I think there's also an important conversation around how physicians and, and healthcare practitioners need to take care of themselves. So what do you say about that? Yeah, three things. Great point. We get that uh, that that discussion a lot. Um, the first thing to say is the evidence regarding empathy shows the 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 opposite. On average, there's a strong inverse correlation between empathy training and burnout. So practitioners who are more empathic are less likely to be burned out. Why is that the case? It's because when we teach empathy, not just us, empathy is taught. Practitioners remember why they got into this profession in the first place is to care about people. And that creates resilience. I can get into the geeky science, but the the way I summarize the science is with a quote from Viktor Frankl, who you may have heard of, who was tortured by the the Nazis in World War II. And he he was tortured. He, in his words, he said, he claims to have found man's ultimate freedom. Um, And his quote is, "If if you have a why, you can deal with any how. So when practitioners remember why they're doing this, anyhow, so that's the general thing. On on average, it's definitely true. There's an inverse relationship. The more empathic they are, the less burned out they are. But there are cases, even me, you know, you go with your family and and people have dumped their problems on you and you feel a bit tired at the end of the day. And in healthcare, the same thing seems to happen with some people. and And I acknowledge their lived experience. 
And what I'm going to say now is not evidence-based. It's just my hypothesis. My hypothesis is that, for example, in a general practice surgery, we know that women are more empathic than men, much more. If being female were a drug, it'd be a blockbuster as far as empathy is concerned. Now, that's true. I can send you the paper. I've done it. Um, so what happens, I think, my hypothesis, in a, in a family, we call it a GP surgery here, a family practice, there's 10, 10 family doctors. Um, one of them is more empathic, usually the, 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 a, a woman, a female practitioner. They'll dump her with all the hard patients. Then she'll be burned out and she'll say it's compassion fatigue, which is not wrong, but it's not exactly because of empathy. It's because she's being forced to deal with all the hard and emotionally difficult patients. That's my hypothesis. Um, that being said, we also teach a, a, a meditation borrowed from, from Buddhists. I know you talk about the wisdom traditions, a compassion meditation. So how do I remain open and connected, my heart open, while not also invoking the fight or flight response? So it's just by, while I'm talking to you, I can do it right now. Just send kind of subtle messages. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be liberated. Or choose whatever positive words you want. If you think that Buddhism conflicts with your religion, I don't think it does, but if you do, that, that's okay. Um, so we, we teach a protection against that, A. B, it does happen to some people, but I don't think it's because of empathy, because the evidence clearly shows the opposite. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. I love it. I want to talk a little bit about training, because yeah. I feel like the work that you do is so important, but why should it exist if the training was great and then there was like ongoing revisits to the training? So I'm just curious to know, what do you think about med school and nursing school, like how we are training the future physicians on the front line and what, why is empathy not a bigger part of that conversation? And I've also yeah. heard if you, if, as a little footnote to this conversation, I've heard that as med school students go along their program, their empathy actually drops, which is fascinating yeah. to me. So I'm happy to talk about that because it gives me a chance to brag about one of those is our, our studies, the recent one. I'm not sure if you teed me up for that, but I'll take it. Um, so yes, there's been over 30 studies that have investigated whether medical student empathy declines. It, it doesn't always, not all the studies show it does, but most of them show that it does decline. We did a recent study uh, here at the University of Leicester. Um, we looked at the reasons why, why it declines. That's the important thing. Why does it decline? And there are two main reasons. One is called the hidden curriculum. One part of the medical school curriculum is the what's written down on, on paper. You must learn this, you must learn that. And part of the written curriculum in all countries I've seen, including Canada, the UK, and the US, they all put empathy or compassion as one of the core competencies. But then when it comes up to teaching it, because medical students are focused on passing the exam, they have to be, they're under a lot of stress, they treat it as a tick box exercise that's not that important. And then that, so the hidden message there is it's not that important. But then when they go from the early part of medical school, largely classroom, lecture theater based, to the placements on the hospital ward and so on, that's where the hidden curriculum becomes important. They're stressed out. They don't know where to go. Their role models are often are empathic, but more often are less empathic. So the, the subtle messages they're receiving is that empathy is not important. Um, then also to get into medical, the, the other reason, so one reason is the hidden curriculum is unempathic. The other part of it is, two other parts, is the undue focus on the biomedical model. The biomedical model of disease is, I'll oversimplify, the human body is a machine. Now the human, human body is a machine, 
but it's way more than a machine too. Even if it's a, just a machine, it's so complex. It has emerging properties. How do you explain that, that what you makes you and me is hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, a few other chemicals you can buy for 10 pounds, $10 at the shop. You can't explain Anita Novak with that, those molecules, no matter how much you stare at them through a microscope. And me too, hopefully. Now, so this is the hidden, this is the, the, the hidden curriculum in medical school, the undue focus on biomedical knowledge and the stress they face causes a decline. So what we're doing here at the, uh, at the Leicester Medical School, we're kind of lucky because I've been fighting to get funding for this kind of thing for years and I've succeeded, but it's been bloody hard. Um, kind of half luck, nothing's pure luck. We got funding. So they're, they're basically paying us to, to change the medical school curriculum. So we have a longitudinal medical school curriculum to make sure that empathy increases and doesn't decrease. I can talk more about that if you like. Well, I think that is so crucial. I, 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 when I'm hearing you talk, I mean, I, I'm absolutely certain that it is true for the medical profession, but I think it also lends itself to the corporate world where there's this hidden curriculum of like, you know, I, I think the stat is something like 84% of CEOs know that more empathy actually has a positive impact on business outcomes but seven out of 10 CEOs are afraid to show empathy in the workplace because they feel they would be less respected. Hi there, at the risk of interrupting this great conversation, I just wanna draw your attention to two things. There's over 150 episodes on the Purposeful Empathy channel. You may wanna check them out and I would invite you to press the subscribe button so that you get them into your mailbox every week so you don't miss a show. Thanks so much for watching. Without any ad spend or SEO, we have over 25,000 organic views. I wanna thank you so much for watching. Again, hit the subscribe button. The world needs more empathy and you have a role to play. In terms of, um, we've talked about students, we've talked about physician patients, we've talked about self. What about in the within the peer group? Um, yeah. I, I feel like the medical profession is one of those things where it's competitive to get in. You have to succeed in order to advance. And because society continues for, for very justified reasons to hold doctors in such high regard, there is a degree of ego that shows up and a degree of competitiveness. So what, what do you think about like cultures of empathy within the, the system of, of colleagues and, and, and people within the organization of delivering healthcare. You're right. I'll tell a bad joke. When I give this, when I teach empathy to, to nurses, they usually say, Oh, Jeremy, you know, we don't need to learn this. This is our thing. It's, it's the family doctors, the GPs. Go, go <laughs> teach them. And I go teach the GPs and they say, uh, the family doctors, they say, ah, empathy, empathy is our thing. We see patients every day. It's the surgeons. Go, go tell the surgeons. Then I go tell the surgeons and they say, we don't need empathy. All we have to do is cut good. Now, wow. there's a joke. It's not true. Some of the most empathic people I know are surgeons, doctors. And my colleague, Elad Levy in Buffalo is a fantastically, he's a, but, but it does show you that they don't believe it's important. And there is ego. And there's a surprising lack of empathy between professions, a lack of respect. So the, to fight this, there's something called, you must have heard of interprofessionalism, mm -hmm. um, where they try to get nurses and doctors to, to work together. They often don't work together. And it's like each one has their own prejudice against the other profession. What we do to overcome this, 
we do deep interprofessionalism. When we do system empathy training, we get people in the room, um, stakeholder representatives, doctors, surgeons, nurses, physios, reception staff, cleaning staff, everybody, and, and metaphorically lock the door let everyone respectfully express what they think are the barriers to empathy, then let them focus on what they can do to fix, to make it create a more empathic milieu. So this is the, so we, we are addressing that. Um, and yes, you have to live your, your, your values. It's tough, right? Like now I, I'm a leader. I'm listening to a, a podcast now, Goldman, this leadership styles. It, it, it is tough because people are asking you for stuff. Um, and if you say yes to everything, you can't say yes to everything. So saying no is never, unless you're a genius, right. doesn't not viewed as empathic. Usually, um, you can tone it down and so on, and focus on the future and so on. And then um, people do in your team do things that you have to call out, and that's also very difficult to do. Um, and can continue to be, appear empathic even if you are so it's it's tough but but it's possible to, and 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 it's um having the intention to do it i think is the important thing and then being genuine not being scared to share your your emotions um i don't think it's a sign of weakness but i acknowledge it's a challenge so to, i've answered your question in a roundabout way you've asked about um and they towards each other we encourage that in our training and i'm also acknowledging that empathic leadership is difficult but one thing I think that's kind of, there's a win-win, like you said, a hack. What's a hack for empathic leadership? The hack for empathic leadership is get feet in the ground. So there's one hospital working with here. They're having trouble with a certain department. I won't name, name anyone. Or, and, I, and I asked the um, CEO, I said, well, how often do you walk around that department? Uh, they wouldn't, they, they, they never walked around. So you, you can't have empathy without communication. So communication's a bedrock. So I would say that communication is something that everyone can do. You can walk around and say hello to the cleaner, say hello to the reception staff, say hello to the nurse, the other doctors. That doesn't take much time to walk through and do that. And, and that alone might sound not very deep or insightful, but it does make a difference. Absolutely. I remember getting asked the question often in the corporate sector, like when people were coming back to the workplace, what's one of the best ways to sort of grease the wheel and make sure everybody's coming back, like ready to collaborate. And I said, go out for a beer together, like get, like remind yourselves that you're humans. Right. And so I think just those little touch points uh, really do matter. Two more questions for you, Jeremy. Um, I want to ask the question about um, your, your dream for the center, uh, like, you know, the big vision and how we can create a movement to promote empathy in healthcare. Well, I, I'm living the dream now. I I was fighting. To, it, it's unusual to have this level of access to the medical school curriculum. So we're doing, I'll just mention, our, we have five curriculum streams, each of which has substreams, and we're developing them all as if they were drugs, doing the systematic reviews, co-production workshops. We're getting patient opinions. Before we change anything, we ask patients what do they think. We ask students what they think. So we have one one self-empathy stream, like you said, you can't be empathic to others if you're burned out. So the, we're, we're creating the, the world's best, I hope, the world's best medical student well-being program. Obviously, we teach empathic communication skills, which are all evidence-based, effective, and exciting, not just boring stuff. We're getting real patients into the classroom during the teaching of pathophysiology. So instead of teaching about the bones and the heart system and the brain and so on, we get patient stories in there, which help students pass the exams. 
Why? Because the human brain remembers stories more than facts. It also makes them remember, hey, this is not just about your chemistry exam or your biology exam. You've got to apply this knowledge to real people who are more complex than the, the figure you see in the Nature magazine. Um, we have some specific interventions, Anita, to reverse the decline in empathy, such as near-to-peer support and role model training. We can't train all the role models, but we can teach students to identify aspects of positive and negative role models. Then the cool one we just finished the piloting now called Walk a Mile in Your Shoes. We get medical students to experience vicariously, but quite closely, what it's like to be a patient, otherwise sitting beside a patient through their journey or putting on one of those aging suits like you saw Chris Helmsworth wear in Limitless. He doesn't need my advertising, but he is a pretty cool guy. Um, or, or, or um, you know, the home, going to the homeless shelter and the homeless GP surgery and then writing about it creatively. So these are getting deeply embedded throughout all five years of medical school. And we already have great feedback. We've only been around for a year. So my goal has been for the last 15 years to ensure that all healthcare organ, all healthcare consultations include a dose of empathy. Mm-hmm. And we, we are, we're also taking, this is our core business is the medical school. We're spreading it beyond into the NHS here. And I, I give trainings else elsewhere as well so it's not it's 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 bloody hard work but it's satisfying and patience it's it's a no-brainer um yeah it's a no-brainer it's making it's making a difference yeah thanks to and atomic movement we're we're creating actually an international collaboration for academic institutions i'd love i'll send you information about that Awesome. And anybody who's been watching or listening that wants to have more information about the work that you do and about you, that's going to be included in the show notes. So please check that out. Yeah. Uh, my last question, which yeah. I love to savor, because um, it's on a personal note, and that is like, can you think of a time in your life, Jeremy, anything that comes to mind um, of when you were on the receiving end of empathy and what that meant for you? Yeah, I can. I actually avoided knee surgery because of empathy. I had a great GP, family doctor, and my knee was so bad I couldn't walk. And and here in the, in the UK, they don't just give scans for anyone. You have to have a really bad, a swollen knee. The scan showed up, it was very bad. Um, they wanted to give me surgery. And again, in the public system here, they don't offer surgery unless it's, it's pretty bad. I didn't want surgery. I was writing a book about uh, Dr. Yu, you know, saying that you, I, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I should try something else first. And, and, and my GP, despite the strong recommendation from the um, the hospital to do the surgery, he said, well, Jeremy, you do, you know, your body pretty well. Um, you've, you, I do yoga and so on. I was, I was an athlete. So try the physiotherapy for a while and see if it works. I did the physiotherapy and with a year, I, I ran my first and only marathon. So I saved the NHS money um, and, and healed the knee. So it doesn't sound like a dramatic example, but clearly if he hadn't listened and I was open, I couldn't walk. So, so if he had just said, go for the surgery, I would have listened, but he, he listened to me and he knew me. Um, I've had other experiences sadly with lack of empathy, which is one of the reasons I got into this, this game. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that it stayed within, well, I'm not, I'm glad I'm, it's interesting that it stayed within the space of healthcare because it's an example of not only the personal outcome for you that you didn't have to do the surgery that you're actually able to write, run a marathon afterwards you felt heard and listened to but all of the other business case elements fits into your narrative as well you didn't cost 
the system money. And as a result of the healing in the, in the long run, you will cost the system less money. So this daily or not daily dose, but like any visit dose of empathy is actually ka-ching, ka-ching. It matters. Totally. I mean, it's easy to see if you're empathic towards patients, the number one reason for complaints against doctors is poor communication, including lack of empathic communication. What if you could reduce that just by 10% by sitting down instead of standing up? You're right. And other, other hacks. And you, and you can. And I proved you can. Likewise, empathy towards your staff. And so on. this applies to the corporate world as well. But so the complaints, I'm sure, is in the corporate world has an analogy. But retaining staff, the cost of retraining and so on, uh, staff, or the cost of absenteeism, presenteeism, that applies in the medical profession as much as anywhere else, in my staff too. Um, so this kinds of things, it, it, it totally is ka-ching, ka-ching. It sounds a bit Machiavellian to say it, but at the end of the day, we live in the real world and we have to show that it's cost-effective. And we have done so using very rigorous studies. Beautiful. And I love the fact that the ka-ching, ka-ching is the gateway to conversations with managers and people with power, knowing, knowing that ultimately it is also and more so about the patient experience. It's yeah. about our hearts. Yeah. It's about connecting as humans and living sort of our best truths, right? So, yes. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, keep doing the work that you're doing. I love the research, making it science-based, making the case. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank everybody who's been watching and listening. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. Thanks so much for watching this episode, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the channel. Purposeful Empathy is devoted to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. You've just done something about it by watching the show. Again, subscribe if you can and consider picking up a copy today. Music